This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Uh, remember, you can give me a text at 2057. You can email me at inbox at rallycheck.radio. Raising healthy kids. What's it take? Hmm. Probably putting them outside the system. At least to some extent. Uh, and to help us understand this, raising healthy kids outside the system, we're joined by Dr. Sarah Ferrant. Have I pronounced Ferrant correctly, Sarah? <laughs> you have. You've done a great job there, Rodney. Um, most people say Ferrant. Ah. And also, um, I should say to listeners that Dr. Sarah has said to me she'd be very comfortable if we had a conversation. So I'm. Um, as you, as listeners know, I've been sort of agonizing over conversation, interview, what am I doing quite right here? So we're going to have a bit of a conversation, a bit of an interview, but we're going to find out so much. Tell me, how did you find yourself outside the system, outside the health system? What led you there? That's a, that's a big question to unpack. That's an awesome question to start with. So for for me, it went back to I would say at the age of seven, you know, in my in my own life, and I was very much raised in an allopathic approach, and you know, did conventional schooling, and um, but a, an incident happened, and my dad knelt down in front of me, Rodney, and he placed his hand over my heart, and he said, "Sarah, you have all the answers inside of you. All you have to do is ask the question and trust your answer." And that day changed changed my life. And at the age of ten, when I coughed a, a couple, pardon me, coughed a couple of times, and my mum whizzed me up to our medical doctor, who just happened to be my uncle, um, to get something to take something away. I was transported back to that young child at the age of seven, and my dad saying, "You have all the answers. You know, you know, just trust what the question that you ask." And so I um, sat in the car while mum was getting the prescription for amoxicillin fulfilled and I said, what do I want to do? And the answer that came back was rest. So I went home that day, mum popped the, the pill and the glass of water and she slid it across the bench, you know, saying, there you go, darling, this will make you feel better. And I looked at her with certainty, much like my dad did that day that he knelt down in front of me, and I said, no, thanks, I'm going to rest. Oh, my so, goodness. So Yeah, so the, the journey for me has been, if I look back at the lessons that my dad taught me, which was um, ask questions, you have all the answers inside of you, and trust. And it was that life-changing moment for me that if I, if I was to actually put all the significant events of my life onto a a chart, graph it in some way, then I would find the pivotal moments was when I lent into trust and just trusted myself. What was your dad like? <laughs> he was a Socratic parent. And what I mean by that is, is Socrates was always about questions, right? So he was very much a, a questioning father. He taught me to ask questions. And boy, I've become very good at asking questions and reading between the lines of things that may not be being said. And he, um, you know, he would ask a question back. So if I said, you know, how are you, dad? He would go, why do you want to know? 
you know, like it, mm. it was always questions. So um, I feel that I've done that very successfully in raising our kids too as we've mm. journeyed through our, you know, our life with our kids is just asking them questions. Isn't it funny growing up that your childhood, your parents spend such a lot of effort and time looking after you, and yet your memory of your childhood, there are incidences that stand out so stark, so strong, and to your parent, it was often just a mundane thing. Yeah. If you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And you're very I'm very conscious as, as a parent that you know you spend hours looking after your kids and caring for their needs and you know that um they have you, you as a your childhood is sort of distorted reality and it's often these little things that stand out in your mind of what your dad said or did or your mum said or did and it becomes hugely significant in your life. And your parent, your dad may not even have remembered it, if you know what I mean. Just another yeah. thing he did. Yeah. Well, and it's, wonderful. It's interesting that you say that because dad was that uh, questioning parent, and my mum taught me accountability. So if anything had uh, occurred in my life, she would always say, What role did you play in that? Yes. So there was never a poor you or um, that's unfortunate. It's like, Well, what role did you play? So mm. she was always teaching accountability if I look back at, at, at what she used to say and how she used to interact with me, and Dad was teaching me questions. But when we when we decided to bring children into the world, so our eldest is now 21, our next is 19, the next is 17, when, we, when my husband and I decided to bring kids into the world, we wanted to use Dad's lessons of ask questions, trust, and um, listen to the whispers that are inside. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to also add um, about another three things to what we wanted to teach our kids. And the first one was language. We wanted to make sure that our actions and the language that we were using were congruent so that they would see us uh, living in a certain way and congruent to that, and that would make it easier for them, given that children you know, are always watching it, listening for those first few years, and then they go into being uh, the observers of your actions. So we wanted to make sure that we were congruent in the words that we were using and how we were living. And then the, the second was was we wanted to home educate. And we wanted to home educate because we felt that if we were going to bring kids into the world, that we wanted to be responsible for them. It was no one else's job. And we wanted to be the the guider of their experiences to put more bows in their quiver of life and not to necessarily take an experience away from them or make that experience bad or worse. And then the next one was uh, health. So how are we going to approach health? So given that myself and my husband don't vaccinate, don't take over-the-counter medications and don't have a medical doctor, we don't do prescribed medications, we wanted to also raise our kids in that particular health approach and chiropractic as well. So for us, chiropractic has always been the mainstay. We have had chiropractic in our life since the 19. 90s for my husband and I, and we wanted to raise our kids in that health approach too. Given Just stop there, Sarah. I'm sorry to interrupt, listeners. That's okay. Uh, tell us what chiropractic is, 
mm-hmm. and tell us how you and your husband got into chiropractor. Oh, <laughs> that's a good story. Um, so chiropractic is a particular health approach that recognizes that you are a self-healing, self-regulating, self-regenerating and self-maintaining organism that is constantly adapting to the environment. And at the seat of that adaptation is your nerve system. So your nerve system is your master communicating system of your body and any interference to that communication pathway is then obviously going to set up states of dishyphen ease within the body um, and eventually to disease if that does not uh, um, if that communication pathway is not taken care of in some way. Now, in saying that, Rodney, there are three different ways in which you can create that neurological interference within your body. So the first one would be physical. So there's physical challenges, you know, falls out of trees, car accidents, trips. I mean, kids before the age of two have up to 2,000 different falls in their lifetime. You know, it's a major impact to their nerve system. Then there's the the chemical aspect of it. So not only do we have our own internal chemical um, production taking place, but we also have external chemicals that we put into our body or onto our body that alters the communication pathways within. And then we have our emotions. Now we know, you know, through lots of epigenetics now for the last 25 odd years, 30 years even, that that lots of studies have been done in our thoughts and what we think about we bring about, like that's quite a common statement, but also when we perceive our world in a certain way, that then alters our physiology. And when it alters our physiology, we then create the signs and symptoms within our body to alert us that something is taking place. Mm. So physically, chemically, and emotionally, um, or what we have in our household and on our website as our catch cries, move, eat, think, we wanted to make sure that those three were looked at very closely in our household with this overarching umbrella of trust. Ask mm. questions, trust the whispers that come back. So for us, we've had chiropractic in our life, like I was saying before, since the um, early 1990s. And we don't have a medical doctor. We just have the mainstay of chiropractic. So we get adjusted every Friday morning as our family adjustment day. Our kids have been adjusted since they were minutes old and have been every week for the whole of their lifetime. What's and adjusted it, mean? Um, so an adjustment is the uh, is the art part of chiropractic. So that is what we, um, like a medical doctor, you would go and you would receive a treatment, right? Mm-hmm. In chiropractic, you would go and receive an adjustment. So it's not a manipulation. Whoever wants to get manipulated in life, right? No one does, right? So that's not what chiropractors do. We don't manipulate people. We adjust people. And, you know, we can go into the word nerd part of of what those two mean because they're very stark differences. But suffice to say that um, our kids have been raised in this health approach, this understanding that their nerve system is the master communicating system. And when... When you are adjusted consistently and regularly, then your nerve system is less likely to go to the valleys and to go to the peaks, right? We stay more consistent throughout our life. So you don't drop down or you don't drop up. There's a consistency. There's a balance to what's taking place. You know, our homeostatic mechanism inside our body is, is the balance. So... Um, for for us to, uh, or for our children at least, you know, they have not had an over-the-counter medication at yes. all. What's the, life. what is the adjustment like a meditation, an exercise? Oh, uh, it, 
it's the introduction of a force into the body yes. um, that then the body then will take that force to the area where it is of concern. So a lot of people call chiropractors back doctors, right? Yes. So, so and and this is where chiropractic is quite misunderstood as well. So the reason why we go to the back is because we have this innate intelligence in the body that decided that the nerve system especially the central nerve system which is the which is the brain and the spinal column is vitally important to a person's ongoing function through their life so the innate intelligence of the body said i've got to encase that in bone to make sure that it is well protected so yeah. we would go to the spine because that's the easiest place for a chiropractor to access the nerve system okay so and and, and you know every level of the the spine all the nerves that come out they have different levels that it goes to goes to all all the um you know if you look at the hierarchy of the body from the nerve system or a or a uh, um, a health perspective you go from systems to organs to tissues to cells to organelles to molecules to atoms subatomic particles vibrations energy and light you know so it's it's very depth in terms of um uh, accessing the nerve system. So this Friday adjustment day, yeah, would that be what I would understand as a chiropractic treatment? Yes. However, okay. this is yes. where you want to look at the words, Rodney, because the, the treatment treat treat means to deal with, mm -hmm. and meant means mind. So if you have a treatment. You are usually, because that's an allopathic terminology, right? It's also mm -hmm. the alternative, you know, where a hundred different other health professions sit that aren't dispensing drugs or medications of any kind, sit in this other bucket called the alternative health approach. So if you are um, going to someone to get something, you're usually provided with a treatment. It's a prescription that they'll write down or they'll give you something, go and buy this over-the-counter drug. But that means that you are going to be dealing with your mind only. So when you consume that, you basically chop yourself off and you've got your mind at the top, your bottom at the bottom, and you've created this illusion that whatever it is that you have is not there anymore. And because health comes from a feeling perspective, because you don't feel it anymore, you deem yourself to be healthy again. Now, mm. if that was actually the case and medications gave you health, then shouldn't the healthiest people be the ones that are taking the most medications? Mm. And that's not the case, is it? No, 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 it's not, definitely not. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just backing up and we'll, we'll get through all of this, yeah. what led you to, I get, you're thinking outside the system. Mm -hmm. I get that you were growing up a person who thought for yourself, and that's an amazing story at 10, saying, I just need rest. What led you, of all the medicines you could do, alternate and otherwise, to chiropractic in particular? So I was... Uh... It was back in about 1972, my parents got a black and white TV. You know, we thought we were rich and my sister and I were finding out where all the little people lived in the back of the TV, right? We had never had one before. We thought, it were, you know, this was fantastic. And there was a late-breaking news report that came on the TV that said, um, uh, sorry, uh, we, 
mum and dad grabbed Lisa and I, my sister and I, and we went and sat on the couch and we listened to this late breaking news. And it was a surgeon that came off, came on the TV and he asked, uh, he was being asked questions about the brain surgery that he had just performed. And I got off from the, the, the couch that day and said to my dad, I'm going to be a doctor and change people's lives. And, you know, as a parent, dad's like tap, tap on the back. Oh, that's nice, dear. You know, off we go for dinner. And, um, and then I got to school, Rodney, and I never lost sight of that vision that I'm going to be a doctor and change people's lives. And I thought I was going to be a brain surgeon. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to open people up and look inside the human body because I was so um, uh, amazed that this guy could do that and still have someone alive the next day. Like I wanted to see what was inside. And as I was going through my education, my schooling, it was fast becoming, you know, I guess I was fast becoming aware that I probably was not going to go into medicine because I pretty much couldn't read. I I could barely uh, comprehend. Um, and I guess most people at that time would have called me dyslexic, but not you know, it, there was no formal category, I guess, when I was going through my education. I'm currently now 56. So I uh, used to go to this lady called Miss Claire who had a little brown door on the other side of the oval and this class teacher would call me out, you know, like, Sarah, it's time for you to go to Miss Claire. Everyone knew who Miss Claire was. She was the dunces teacher. Mm-hmm. So I'd get my books and I would, as soon as I'm left-handed and as soon as my left foot would touch the oval, I would I'd put my head down and as I was walking to Miss Claire's door, I would say, I'm going to be a doctor and change people's lives. I'm going to be a doctor and change people's lives. Over and over again until I got to her door. So I was confirming to myself and affirming to the universe that that's what I was going to be. I had no idea how I was going to get there. I just trusted that that's the path. That and I this is primary school. This is all in primary school or and all the way through my senior school. I used to go to Miss Claire. So it was for 12 years of my life at, at, at school that I was confirming this to myself. Anyway, Miss Claire. While being, while being labelled by your peers, the dunce. Dumb, dumb dunce. I mean, I used to get that all the time at school. And, and I didn't really have many friends at school as a result of that. I was very, very good at sport. And everyone wanted to be my friend when it came to physical education, <laughs> you know, class, because, you know, Sarah can throw the furthest and hit the hardest and, you know, run, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, brain, bit soft. Mm. Yeah. Okay, anyway, I got it. I got the picture. So Miss Claire. So Miss Claire used to, she, you know, would teach me English and stuff, but she noticed I was very, very good at systems. And so she would help me see things in systems. So I can take things in bigger pictures and I can break them down into, you know, bite-sized pieces so people can understand things. So anyway, I I left school. I was very good at sport and I was uh, then selected into the Australian rowing team. And uh, I was then living at the Australian Institute of Sport and I was doing my rowing and I was actually coxswain for the Australian team and then once I finished and retired from rowing uh, that's when and this is where trust comes in again as well I got a letter it's in my AIS inbox 
And the inbox, the, the letter said um, you've been invited to apply to the Australian College of Physical Education in Sydney. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, that's really odd. On the day that I retire, I get this letter out of the blue that says you could, you know, inviting me to apply. And it was a college that was set up for elite athletes in recognition of their training time. So it was it was taking into consideration the curriculum that had to be achieved, but also when people were doing different training. So I was trained, you know, I was there with, you know, um, league football players from Sydney, um, swimmers, runners, all that kind of stuff. So it was a, a great course, and when I completed that, we went. I went on to study psychology, and I trained some elite athletes as well. So when I left physical education, I was training uh, world aerobics champions, um, basketball players, touch football players, etc. And then I started to notice that they couldn't visualize what they were doing when I was asking them to do certain things. And so that's when I studied psychology, and sports psychology was just starting then. Mm. And then I left from that and I went into, uh, I wanted to break from sports. Sport had defined me my whole life. And so I went into human resources with my psychology and I was the human resources for Flight Centre, um, the travel company in, in Victoria. And that's when chiropractic came into uh, uh, my life. Hold, hold that thing about it coming into your life. A couple of questions. Yeah. Are you, were you dyslexic? I would say I was. I had the reading age of about a 12-year-old. Mm. Because dyslexia, in a way, is its own superpower, isn't it? Because oh, a it's incredible. a dyslexic has an astonishing ability, in my observation and from my reading, of seeing how bits fit together. My daughter's dyslexic. And she, if you lose your keys, she can find them in 20 seconds. She has an amazing sense of space. She has an amazing inventive mind and entrepreneurial uh, entrepreneurialism. Uh, but she has struggled to read. She's overcoming it. But it's interesting because you do label them as a bit slow because if if you can't read or even order numbers, you're thinking, oh, what's wrong with, you know, gosh, yeah. But when I've sat with her one-on-one, -on -one, she's astonishingly quick. But she just has that visual thing because that part of the brain is taken up with spatial awareness, creativity, artistry, imagination. And uh, how terrible is it that for those 12 years, the system labels little people mm. as dumb and off to see Miss Claire, was it? Well, and uh, when parents come to come to us, you know, maybe in in a similar situation to you and they say their child's dyslectic, I I I just say, um, okay, so so let's rephrase that. Let's re uh um you know invent the word that actually they're not dyslexic mm. they're they're actually geniuses geniuses and they're geniuses in ways that don't fit in obviously to the system and how everybody um is supposed to learn they have their own unique style and honestly rodney i had not read a book until i was in my 30s isn't it astonishing I had not read a book. I had read little summary ones, and the first book I ever wrote, I had A4 pieces of paper, and I wrote down every character in the book 
because I couldn't remember or comprehend how they fitted in. So when Johnny came into the story, how's Johnny related to Sally? And I went back to my A4 piece of paper to go, okay, Sally was Mary's daughter. Okay, now I know Johnny's the cousin of, you know, whatever it was. It was I had to write everything down. But it wasn't until after the birth of our second boy that I felt all of this pressure in my hands and this pressure going towards the pens near where our telephone was. And every time I got in the shower, true story, I would hear the whispers that would say, write a book. And I would yell out, I am not writing a book. Anyway, three months later, I started to write a book. My goodness. And, and I, go ahead. I, oh, my. Um, this, by the way, General Georgie S. Patton was severely dyslexic. Mm-hmm. Um, his family was very, very wealthy and he was schooled at home. But when he went to West Point, it was a huge struggle for him. And of course, um, he was the most amazing general of World War II because he could see the system of mm-hmm. the battle and the logistics and the and strategy could, and the strategy and the big picture. And like you, he forced himself, no general was better read than him. Mm-hmm. No one wrote more reports than him. Mm. And every book he read and every report he wrote was a struggle. And um, so this dyslexia thing is an amazing capacity. Um, and then to think that you go through that and you write books, that's a wonderful, wonderful story for people. Tell me this. And then we'll get on to you discovering chiropractic. When you finished your rowing, was your body depleted and exhausted? I would say yes. Do you feel when you were rowing that you were being looked after nutritionally, uh, not over doing it my my observation is this we destroy our athletes i don't know whether we still do but athletes get destroyed by the system with coaches and managers and administrators wanting their rowing team to win at the olympics wanting them to do this wanting them to do that and they take these young people full of enthusiasm and energy the top of the top and they wreck them without proper rest, without mm. proper care, without proper nutrition, without proper psychology. And then you get to the end of your career and you may not have made it or you may have made it. And then that's it. You know what I mean? And I just wondered whether physically how you were um, at the end of your rowing career, particularly in an age when the dietary expert on diet was so bizarre you know don't eat any egg don't eat fat don't don't eat this you know live on live on rubbish food um so how did you physically feel at the how how were you physically at the end of your rowing career uh i was i was exhausted and i was over sport i just i needed that i needed to have a break 
mm. from it. The intensity was huge. And remember, I I had road, but I was also coxswain. So I had a I was one of the at the time I was Australia's tallest coxswain that they'd ever had and probably heaviest. So for me to get down to 49 kilos, you know, was well, actually 45 kilos um, was uh, was was a tall ask. So I would have been running 10k a day. We did two two trainings in the boat um, plus plus weights plus running. So it was it was huge. And and I, I remember Rodney going and um. We had to weigh in each morning. The weight was taken, so obviously it was always that focus on scales and what you weigh, and not. It was all about. It was not about how you're functioning, you know. It no. was all about no. you know the the feelings and all things that. you could measure. Yeah, and so um, I remember I'd put on you know like this minuscule minuscule amount of of weight, but for every part of that weight gain I had to do an hour's bike ride in the sports med building so on that particular day I had to do a four-hour bike ride in this in the sci-fi building with the guys coming out and taking my heart rate monitoring me you know and I was a coxswain so it, it was intense you know, and and because I was the coxswain with heavyweight rowers, they they weren't necessarily watching their weight. But what they were told to eat, if I look back now, is absolutely disgusting. I mean, all the parents that we work work with that have children that are playing high level sport send us, uh, um, you know, some of the literature that our kids are told to eat this, and uh, you know, things like up and go. Like seriously, mm. like how does that? How is that? You know, meant to optimize a, a performance and if you're not if you're not our our point of view we, you know being an organic household we always have been since the 19 early 1990-91 then if you can't make it in the kitchen and don't have it it's not no. going to serve it's not going to feed your nerve system and that's what we want to do is always making sure you've got nutrition to feed your nerve system so I think after um, rowing to answer your question, yes, I was I was depleted. I needed a change, and uh, and I didn't look back. When I went into phys ed, I suddenly found a, a a system that I could follow, so I could learn about the muscular system and the mm. cardiovascular, all of the systems, and it was easy for me. I graduated second with honors because of my mind and my system's mind. I'm like, this is great. This is easy. I can do this. So it was, um, now yeah. I interrupted you. Back to your discovery of chiropractic. Hmm. So we we went. Uh, Who's the we? Big pardon. Who's the we? Who's the, oh myself and my husband. So husband. you were together by then. Yes, we were together right. by then. We met at the gym when we were working, and I was training those elite athletes. Great. And we'd we I'd helped a friend open uh, the first gym in a shopping centre of its kind in the Southern Hemisphere that was in uh, in Victoria. So we'd opened that gym. We, I met Randall, my husband, and we uh, – there was a lady at the gym that Randall had, had some kind of – I think it was challenge with his lower back maybe, and this lady at the gym said, I'll go and see Ken. Ken was her chiropractor, and we were like, oh, okay, why not? You know, we didn't do medical model or alternative model or anything like that, so we thought, okay, let's go to Ken. Well, Ken, you know, all of a sudden I sat there and had these epiphanies with what Ken was saying with about the the nerve system, the master communicating system, self-healing, self-regulating, constantly adapting to our environment, et cetera, et cetera. And so 
we left, it was life-changing for, for Randall just within two adjustments, but we knew just like eating great food, you don't just do it once, you go consistently because you are constantly adapting to your environment, your nerve system is always changing, why wouldn't you want to go and get adjusted because it's great for you? So um, the next time we went, I, I had booked in for my appointment, I met Ken's wife, Karen, and uh, I used to receive adjustments from her again every week because we knew that this was life-changing. And then we went out for dinner uh, with them one night and a couple of other of their friends, and I just asked the question, supposedly out of the blue but maybe not, and said, oh, if you were going to study chiropractic again, where would you go? And they said, oh, we'd go to Iowa, um, Palmer College. And I said, Iowa, Palmer College, watch there. And they said, oh, that's the founding school of the profession where it all started in the 1800s. And I was like, hmm. Well, the next day, I, Rodney, I was back out where I had studied psychology at La Trobe University in Melbourne. And I went onto the internet and looked up Palmer College. And in those back in that time in the mid-1990s, you couldn't just print a page, right? It was yeah. those websites where you had to read the whole thing. So I had this wad of paper and I took it out to the quadrangle wrangle, and I sat in the quadrangle reading this information and it said, um, uh, about the nerve system, you know, the master communicating system of the body. It had a, a different definition of, of health being optimal, physical, mental and social well-being and not necessarily the absence of disease or infirmity. And then it had in the top right-hand corner, click here for the doctor of chiropractic program. And I was like, oh, my God, this is it. This this is the I'm going to be a doctor and change people's lives. I had no idea that chiropractors were doctors. I had no idea that anything else was a doctor other than a medical doctor. I didn't know there were naturopathic doctors, that dentists were doctors. I had no idea. And so I've sat there and I'm like, oh, my God. So tears as this, you know, from 1972 as this five-year-old being hugged in my body, just going, this is it, Sarah. This is where we're meant to go. This is the defining moment of I'm going to be a doctor and change people's lives. So I was driving home, tears pouring out of my eyes, just going, oh, my gosh, I found it. This is what I meant to do and just had that real connection with it and walked into our house that my husband and I had just purchased and uh, and and we'd had just got married even though we were together for six years prior. And I walked into the kitchen and slabbed this wad of paper on the kitchen bench and I said, I'm moving to America. I'm going to start coming? Out. I'm going to study chiropractic. I said three options. You can, we can get a divorce. We can have a long-term relationship, but we all know how that works out. Oh, you can come with me. And he was kind of like, okay. Well, it took him two months to decide. I'd enrolled him anyway. I'm like, no, he's going to come and I'm going to enroll him anyway. And, uh, and two and a half months later, we had sold our house and we moved to America. And to come full circle to what my dad taught me at seven, ask the questions, trust your answer. I knew I was meant to go. And I trusted when people were saying, how are you going to afford to live there and go through college? And I said, I don't know. I'm trusting that this is where I'm meant to go. And sure enough, we got over there. We had sold everything that we owned down to a couple of cardboard boxes. And we end up, ended up being the recipient of the largest endowed chiropractic scholarship for both of us. First time a married couple had ever received it. Wow. And so that 
you know, that just cemented for me more that that's where I was meant to be. And then when I graduated from um, chiropractic college, and uh, as I was saying to you about the dyslexia and when our second boy was born, and that's when I, you know, in the shower, I'm like, write the book. And I mustered up that courage to put myself out there and write a book called The Vital Truth, Accessing the Possibilities of Unlimited Health. Now, that was back in 2006. And that book ended up winning a nonfiction literary award. And it's now sold in over 34 countries around the world. So How wonderful. And now I don't have I don't have that. I don't even consider myself to have dyslexic. Now I'm a a prolific writer. Um, And then I wrote my second book in 2014 uh, called The Health Illusion, Is It Killing You? And, you know, both have been, um, you know, a journey of of my life and how we've raised our kids outside the system Mm. and, 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 and chiropractic. I'm sorry for that throat clearing and um going over this journey of yours because now we get to the heart of the topic but it's <laughs> interesting because the topic we're discussing is raising healthy children outside the system and i just wanted to understand how you got there now i understand it now for medicine but you're outside, is it every system? Pretty much. <laughs> I guess because if you step outside the health system and you see it for what it is, like it's lost its way totally, hasn't it? My poor mother, when she got aged, and the doctors were lovely, but like you get 15 minutes with them and it's another pill and then you're taking a pill to counteract the effects of that pill, and then that pill, and it's just a machine spitting old people through with pharmaceutical companies and the whole system tuning through the money, all government supported. Well, you have And and no sense of overall health. And I suppose if you see through that system, you begin to look sideways or ask or ask the questions as your dad would do of the schooling system. And you say, is this what I want for my children? And what you're answering is I want to guide them. I'm their parent. I don't want to give them off to strangers to inculcate them with their values and their views and their half-assed understandings of the world. Mm. Is that how it went? Well, another, I guess, cliche that that Dad said to me was uh, consistently was find out what everyone's doing and run like hell in the opposite direction because that's (laughs) where... (laughs) <laughs> is you know, I, I and and I see. I see. As soon as I say that, I see him looking over his paper with his glasses on. Find out what everyone's doing and run like hell on the opposite. You know, it was just so ingrained in me. So I, I, I believe from a young age with trust and asking questions and run like hell in the opposite direction because that's where it's at. Whatever it is, then 
it was a nice recipe for me to go, okay, what do we want for our kids? I want that that I was raised in, in terms of that knowledge and that the emphasis on on looking at things differently. And I want to be able to home educate our kids. And I want to uh, um, raise them in a chiropractic approach to life. And, And that has been no you know, mean feet, Rodney. You, you, our kids have created exactly the same things that everybody else's kid has created. They've had rashes, they've had lice, they've had worms, they've had um, uh, vomit, they've had headaches, they've had everything. But the only difference to the majority of people out there is the trust that we have, the conversations that we have with them, the actions that we demonstrate in um and the the knowing and the trust in the body that we instill in it, that's probably the only difference that we have to to other people. And and for 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 me, the the journey, I guess, into the home education started probably in the late 1990s, and we were pregnant with uh, twins, actually. And we had some we were in America, living in America pretty much through chiropractic college and we found out we were pregnant for this first time and we had some Amish midwives. Now, the Amish are incredible, incredible wise women and and men, but I'm just talking about the women because we had them as midwives. And these women had sat at the birthing feet of mothers at the time that we knew them over 2,000 times, 25 sets of twins and only one stage three complication. And so when we used to go out twice a month to their farm and collectively share with all of these other couples that would come from all over Iowa and Illinois to share about our pregnancy journey. And on this particular day, Jean, who was the head head, uh, or the lead midwife, asked a question. And we were sitting in a circle and she said, what's your greatest fear? And we were going around the group and going around the group. And then I was kind of like squirming in my seat, like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to admit, you know, I don't want to admit my greatest fear. Came to my turn and I kind of mumbled it. And then they said, sorry, Sarah, we can't hear you speak up. And I said, I don't trust my body to birth. Now, I did trust myself to be a parent, an awesome parent. I did trust my body to grow and develop a child, but I didn't trust my body to birth, despite studying this incredible philosophy of chiropractic and innate intelligence and the nerve system and the wisdom that the body has, I didn't trust myself to birth. It was my Achilles heel. And then about 14 weeks after that conversation where I was trembling and crying my eyes out at the time that I shared it because it was so real and raw for me, I created a miscarriage at 14 weeks with our twins. And it was one of the most extraordinary experiences to go through. I didn't race off to the medical profession to have a DNC. I just trusted my body. And the twins gave me one of the greatest gifts, which was your body can do this. Your body is designed to birth. You can do this. And I went on from that experience, Rodney, to have three extraordinary home births 
So our firstborn was born in the States with the Amish midwives. Our second was born at home with just myself and my husband, Randall, and a colleague. We had a, a midwife associated with her his pregnancy, but not with his birth. And then our third, which is a girl, first girl born into the family in 36 years, and she, we had a mid, we didn't have any midwife associated with her pregnancy, but we did at her birth. She was the ultimate test of trust. She was a breach birth. And the experience was uh, tremendous. You know, I find it disheartening for women who have a, um, a breach position for their baby and told that they have to have a C section or they have to turn the baby or, or you know, yada, yada, because the birth experience is phenomenal. Like it takes a little bit more, you know, um, uh, focus and different pushing, but but it's it's still an amazing experience. And so all of the the home birthing of the children, the raising them in a, in a, an organic um, food and organic environment. Then if we were trusting our children that they have everything inside of them in order to express health then why wouldn't I also trust them that they have everything inside of them to guide their own education? Why wouldn't I? What about pain relief for birthing? No, I didn't have any of that. With a breech birth, oh, my goodness. No, I didn't have any of that. I, to, to be honest with you, um, Rodney, I didn't find birthing painful. I found it... I found it a you know the the stretching of the the vaginal canal and the vaginal wall, but I didn't find it painful. I was very attuned to our children, and it was very gentle. It was you know they were all beautiful experiences. Um, I, I and that's because do you think do you think that's a house thing, an attitude thing? Because like there'll be women listening who'll be saying, oh, "Really, that wasn't my experience, right?" And sort yeah. of almost hating on you in an envious way because they so suffered. Well, and we always say to parents, the way everyone's birthing experience is right for them. Mm. So for me, my birth experience were right for me, given as you've known from my history of ask the questions and trust it was all about trust for me that's been my kind of journey through life other mums that have had c-sections that come into us in the practice were like it, it all works out perfectly it always okay. does so you don't you, you you're saying horses for courses you're not saying this is the way no, 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 no. Okay. I would never, I would never shame a, a a mother for not birthing, you know, inverted commas naturally or at home or anything. Okay. I think everyone, we are all on a journey. We're all here to have our experiences, and each experience provides us with another chapter to be written in our life, whatever that would be. So we mm -hmm. just peel away the layers, peel away the layers with these experiences that we have. So, um, and 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 mothers do come to us with, uh, you know, I feel awful that I had a C-section. That's not what I meant to, was meant to have. But, you know, once we have the conversations around the experiences and the journeys yet to come, that might mean that they may, may make a different decision for their child going forward. And isn't that great? Mm. You know, so we've, we we learn from the experiences that we have. 
Now, we've got the children born, finally. <laughs> and we uh, made the decision to raise them healthily, chiropractically, outside the system. What does that mean? So just like you were asking them with regards to the pregnant the pregnant mums and, you know, they might be, you know, hating me because I had a birth in a certain way or I didn't have pain medication. It all comes back to how you are interpreting health because if health, if you're raised in a household where, you know, there's a pill for every ill and then you are raised to someone to get something to take something away, then you're in a feeling approach to health. If you don't feel good, then you must be unhealthy. Therefore, you'll go and get the doctor-prescribed medication or you'll go and get the over-the-counter medication to take whatever you feel away so that you can say that you're healthy again or that you're right, whatever that may be. So for us, we have um, uh, raised our kids with a very comfortable relationship with pain. And it's been no small feat, like I said before, in raising kids outside the system. But we never wanted our kids to think that their body got it wrong. You know, when you That's come from when you come from a position of sickness, sick actually means to chase. So you're just chasing something when it's sickness. And sickness implies that your body got it wrong, that whatever is there is not meant to be there. But if we understand from our thoughts, physical, chemical, and emotional now, that we create whatever we do inside of ourselves to give us the messages in order to have us consciously be aware of what's going on so we can change whatever needs to be changed, physically, chemically, or emotionally. So we we are always looked at our children with any health expression what I call a health expression, I coined that term back in the early 2000s, which, by the way, is now utilised around the world by health professionals and, and families and individuals to replace the word of sickness. Because health, when we look at the word, um, Rodney, lots of people think health is five things. I actually did this when I, on the Sunshine Coast when I went and asked a whole lot of people what they thought health was. Top five responses were this. having no Having no pain having no signs or symptoms, eating right, exercising, and being happy. That's what people thought health was, all feeling states, right? You would you would agree to that. But when we look at the root meaning of the word, the word health actually means wholeness. And in order for something to be whole, we have to have two halves. So we have to have a positive and we have to have a negative. So in order to create the positive, you can't get away from the negative. You know, health is not a linear line with, you know, disease or death at one end and health at the other, and you've got to keep pushing yourself up towards the health line. That's not the way it, it works. We have within our body positive and negative occurring all the time. So we have toxic and tonic reactions occurring in the body. We have cell growth and we have cell death occurring in the body at the exact same time. We have sodium and potassium pumps, you know, one's a positive and one's a negative charge occurring across the cell membranes at the exact same time. 
Now, if you remember before when I said when we go through the hierarchy of the systems within the body that we go from systems to organs to tissues to cells to organelles to molecules to atoms to subatomic particles to vibrations to energy and light, and when we break down the light, we get a positive and we get a negative. Health means wholeness. You can't get health by avoiding disease. It doesn't happen. You you won't know health unless you know disease. So you need both in order to grow. So if we go to the first seven years of a child's life, you will see that they create lots and lots and lots of health expressions. I'll use the our listeners' terminology. They create lots of sicknesses in order to have that growth experience. At no other time in your life will you create as many health expressions than you do in that zero to seven age group. That's our physical age group. Now, when you go from 7 to 14, you come out of your physical body and you go into your chemical body. In the chemical body, you'll have the the undertakings and the chemical changes of puberty, and then you go through puberty. And then when you get to 14 to 21, you come out of your chemical body and you go into your emotional body. You know, where we're looking for independence as that 14, 15, 16-year-old, you know, I love you parents, but I don't want to be around you. You know, I want to go out with my friends, but I need your money. And they start to go for it that teenage year, they start to go into their cave, right? And the cave is the bedroom. And it's designed that way. It's meant to happen that way because that's where they first start to get the separation from the family and themselves. So, and lots of people, lots of people say they just won't come out of their room. They, you know, they won't come and sit with us at the dinner table anymore, yada, yada. Well, what we used to do with our kids, if that was a situation that ever occurred, we'd take dinner to them. We'd go and knock on their door. Hey, is it okay if we come for dinner? You know, we take dinner into their room and we'd sit on their bed and we'd have dinner as a family in their room because that's where their cave was. That's their moving away from the family. Anyway, I digress a little bit, but from 21 back to 28, we go back into our physical body. You know, you want to go to the gym, you want to catch a mate, you know, except, you know, buffed and shine, all that kind of stuff. And then the pattern just keeps repeating, physical, chemical, emotional, physical, chemical, emotional. But when our kids were young, as I've alluded to before, that they have created lots of different health challenges during that time. But it goes back to how you're interpreting health. Now, for us, for them to have those health expressions, we were, one, adjusting our children and to educating them on what was occurring in their body, the growth that was undertaking, the innate intelligence that was alerting them to changes that were taking place. So if I share this example with you, um, Rodney, when our eldest boy was five, we were getting ready to move to New Zealand, to um, Waiheke Island and to, you know, set up shop and have a different experience. Anyway, I used to take them to the skate park at Alexandra Headland on the Sunshine Coast and there was this ramp in the middle that he would be up the top of and he always found it challenging to get down. Anyway, we we went home. A couple of nights later, I could hear him tossing around in his bed. And I said to my husband, I'm just going to go and check on Annam. 
I went round to his bedroom, knelt down by his bed, placed my hand on his forearm, and with certainty and clarity in my voice, like my dad did to me when I was seven, you got all the answers, ask the questions, trust the answer, I said to Anna, what's going on? I don't know, I don't know, came his reply, and I said, yes, you do, what's going on? And he paused and he said, well, clearly I created a health expression. (laughs) And I said, said, good job, buddy, health expression. Again, it's all about asking questions. What's the health expression about? I don't know. Yes, you do. Physical, chemical or emotional? And he said, it's physical. Great job, buddy. Health expression, physical body. What's the physical about? And he said, well, you know that skate ramp? And I said, yes. He said, well, you know how I haven't been able to get down? And I said, yes. And he said, well, I think I'm going to grow in my strength and I'll get down the ramp. And my hand squeezed his forearm just that little bit firmer and I said, do you think or do you know? And he said, I know. And I said, great job, buddy. Health expression, physical body, you're going to grow in your strength and you're going to get down that ramp. And then I adjusted him, not because anything was wrong, but because everything was right. Mm. And I kissed him goodnight. Two days later, he was down that ramp. Now, if your interpretation of health is coming from how you feel, then in a household that espouses the feeling approach to health, then the circumstances would have been very different, wouldn't they? That. Mm. The the mum would have got a thermometer. We've never had a thermometer in our house. We have never taken our kids' temperatures. We only have toilet rolls in the inverted commas medicine cupboard or the bathroom cupboard. A medication may have been given to that child. um, And at worst case scenario, maybe there was a race to the night GP at a hospital or or a local medical centre. So it, it all goes down to how you are looking at health the trust that you have in the human body, the understanding of that, the language that you use that then creates the congruency with our own actions and with our children as well. And we have always said that we are not here as parents to remove an experience that our children are having. We are here to help guide them so that they can best understand why they have created that in the first place. On this outside the system, have your husband and you been at one? Yes. And has it uh, been that you laid it all out day one or has it been uh, a process by which you have learned as you've gone along and made necessary adjustments and become more experienced or has it been following the plan that you set out? Uh, I w- we spoke a lot. Remember I said to you at the very beginning that Dad had those three lessons and we add, we wanted to add to that, mm-hmm. uh, which was the language and the home education, the chiropractic, um, and it, being an organic household, eat great food. Uh, we, we were already doing a lot of that anyway, so mm-hmm. to put that into how we were, as in education, as in looking ourselves at different ways to educate ourselves, then we wanted to make sure that we had that with the kids. So, yes, we were, to answer your question, yes, we were on board with each other prior to bringing kids into the world. And we were together for 11 years before we decided to have kids. So we had we had journeyed a lot 
um, together. We understood each other very well. And then when we came to bringing kids into the world, we were both all in with um, very congruent on the health approach and the home education. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and you know, it sounds like it might have been an easy journey. It hasn't been a necessarily an easy journey um, in terms of, um, you know, we get challenged as, uh, as a family, um, uh, you know, kids and their health expressions. Um, however, it has been relatively easy as we've gone through and made sure that our kids have a comfortable relationship with pain and what health actually means. And what were the biggest mistakes you think you made looking back? Mm, I would say I'm not sure if it's a mistake or an anticipation. I didn't anticipate how uh, technology would, the impact that technology would have. And I would say our kids were introduced to, uh, they got their first computer at 12. So maybe that was too early. Uh, you know, That's when a I, tough when one I, for everyone. It is a t- it is a tough one because every family is different and and I guess for if I look back to say was there anything that we felt that we did wrong I, I would always come from that position of no because I believe you can only make decisions with the information that you have at the time mm. and, Good and as we yeah as we grew we um as a family we did more so we always had dinner together we always had cooked meals and any time with the kids during the day if they had something that they wanted to discuss and perhaps we were time poor as a family then we would we would say to them let's put it on the table that's what it was called so at night time when we were all sitting around having dinner, um, we would then say, okay, who had a conversation that they wanted to raise for on the table? And we would go around. And we did that um, mainly, Rodney, because we thought that if the kids have a question, it's going to impact our life as well. And because we had both chosen to to parent wholeheartedly, the two of us, not just one raising the kids and the other one, you know, dipping in and dipping out kind of thing, as in it wasn't just the sole responsibility of the female to raise the kids, even though, you know, 98% of the decisions around the children usually has to do with the female in the house. We both wanted to have our eyes on any um, thoughts that were going on in our kids' heads because that was going to uh, impact the whole nucleus of the family. So if the kids were raising a question we knew that the answer and the question that they were asking was also going to benefit our own life mm. so we always it, came from that position of it must give you must have given you a lot of comfort having witnessed the amish community yeah what you're doing yeah they're a lovely lovely and you know what here's the here's the great part of it um one of the one of the midwives had um uh, six girls, one had six boys, one had three girls, three boys, and one had seven girls and three boys, if I've got that correctly, and they were all home educated. Yes. And these children were just... Radiant. Gorgeous. They yeah. they they were 
interactive. They could interact with anyone. They were um, self-directed in terms of their learning and, and what they, you know, wanted in their life. They were polite. There was just so much to love about these children that um, it we wanted to home educate anyway and then meeting them and having them come into our life it was like yeah that's just confirmation that we're definitely yeah. going to go down go to down there. and we didn't do it for we were we are not religious no, no. you know we, we didn't do it for a religion but you but there they are eschewing technology and medicines and the kids uh, and the old people such rude good health compared to, say, wandering down Brooklyn or Auckland uh, downtown, and you compare that to the Amish people, and mm. you think, well, how would you want to be and how would you want to live? Because mm. something's wrong. And mm. that's what we're exploring here. There is something wrong. Um, can you imagine the circumstances, are there any circumstances where you would rely on traditional allopathic medicine? When I say traditional, got that round the wrong way, but you know what I mean. Modern medicine. <laughs> I'll give you, you, yeah, I'll give you a great example of that. Um, yes, and we educate. You know, I educate very clearly on this that the allopathic approach to health, the treatment, the go to someone to get something is great when you have an emergency. So yes. you've got a, a loss of limb, heart attack, car accident, uh, anything like that. Then the then that's what they're great at doing is is saving lives in that capacity but for the everyday cough cold etc etc no i i um uh, you know we've chosen to make sure that we adjust our children every week and because of that neurological integrity that they have and the clear communication that they have their body doesn't experience those extremes so our kids all know where you know about those health approaches as well and when to utilize them. So I'll give you an example. At 17, our eldest boy was staying with some friends down at Lake Kirapiro and he jumped off a bridge and he was running back to the the uh, bridge again to jump off again and he didn't see some tin and he sliced his foot. And the foot was quite, mm. quite, was, was quite deep. And uh, we were up in Auckland. We weren't in the in the Waikato. We weren't close to him. So he rang. This is the first thing he said, Rodney. He said, "Okay, Mum. I know what you're going to ask. Why did I create this? And I know why. We don't have to go there. I know why I created this. And <laughs> um, and uh, I said, good. And he said, it's fairly deep." Um, it probably needs some stitches. I said, okay, well, that's fine. Just just make sure that the blood oozes out. You don't need to wash it or anything. Just wait for the blood to ooze out. And blood's not the problem, right? Blood's good. Unless you're loss of limb or hemophiliac, then, then you want to make sure that you're getting, you know, the help that you need. But for the everyday person, blood is not usually a problem. So when blood is oozing out of something that is a deep cut, then it's it's pushing out the debris that's got in. It's a self-cleaning mechanism of the innate intelligence of the human body. So, and coagulation usually occurs within, you know, two to three minutes. So I said to them, wait, just wait for the blood to push itself out. It'll clean it. Um, it'll form the scab. Um, if you need to, you know, do anything, then get your own saliva and put it on your uh, on your cut because we have healing immune qualities within our saliva. Like all animals in nature, lick their wounds. We humans don't tend to do that too much, but we've taught our kids to do that. So uh, anyway, the um, and I said, wait till the next day and and 
we'll see how it is and go and get your stitches. Anyway, so the next day um, he could see that the, the you know, the blood had had um, done its job. It cleaned it all out. Um, it was quite deep and our friends took him to uh, the local GP. So he's, he's never been to a GP before. He's 17. He's never entered into the system. So he is navigating this all on his own. And he walks in and he says, oh, hi, you know, I would like to get some stitches, please. And uh, they said, okay, so he went through to the doctor and the doctor sat him down and said, oh, what did you do? And he goes, I cut myself on some, um, you know, some metal. And the the guy said, okay, so where are we are with vaccines and what do you need to do uh, to get updated there? Um, and obviously you'll need a tetanus. And and I um, said, uh, no, thanks. I'm just here for stitches, please. And then he looked at the cut and he goes, oh, well, I'm going to need to put a local anaesthetic in that to do the stitches. And Anam said, no, thank you. I would just like my stitches. I have a high tolerance for pain. Could you please just stitch it up? Very wow. clear, very certain. And then, you know, the doctor probably thought, oh, the force is strong in this one, so <laughs> I won't go any further. So he did what he was, uh, you know, to his credit, the, the GP, you know, stitched him up and um, and Anam was out the door. So it's... in order for him to be able to navigate that on his own, he had to have trust in his body, confidence in what he knew to be true and uh, uh, a respect for the system that he was entering into. So he wasn't rude. He wasn't impolite to the medical doctor. He just knew what he wanted. Didn't take pain medication or anything like that because we've taught our kids that pain is your friend. If pain is there, then there there is undertakings within the body in order to create change. So do what would be best for you, which is to rest and just let the body undertake whatever it is. Now, we have chiropractic, of course, in our life, not to take anything away, but like I said before, everything is right. So getting our kids adjusted regularly is important. Um, Tell me you eat what you prepare in your kitchen. Yes. Tell me about the diet the children have been raised on. Uh, well, we are, uh, uh, gluten-free, so no wheat, um, very minimal dairy. So we don't have milk or anything like that. We do have some cheeses, um, and organic veggies from the garden. Uh, Oh, and meat and, you know, and yeah, meat, eggs, et cetera, but, uh, not not milk and not, uh, wheat. So gluten and dairy free. Is there a reason for the gluten and dairy free? Yeah, we just don't we don't like it. I don't like how the wheat is actually uh, made or produced. I guess in in westernized countries, too much of the glyphosate sprays, etc., that mm-hmm. are put on it, the alteration of it, it's just not a healthy food to have, mm-hmm. um, and it creates challenges, obviously, within the the gut and the biomine of the body, as does dairy. And dairy, because it's, you know, pasteurised and homogenised, I mean, if you get can get raw dairy, then that's raw milk, that's fantastic. You know, get it raw because then it hasn't been pasteurised and homogenised, and pasteurised is just basically when it, you know, heats the prejeebas out of it and what's mm. left is the bacteria in the milk. So you're still putting bacteria into your body when you're buying something from the supermarket. So mm. it, we just decided not to not to do those avenues. And tell me what you can about your children now and what their plans are. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, well, when they were little, it's interesting. When you when they are little and you 
become the observer of your children as a parent and you look at where their interests are and you you open doors for them in in those ways and sometimes those interests change and you open a different door somewhere else so that was always our 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 role as parents is to be their guide and to see where their interests are and to facilitate that into actualization until they could get to a decision where they would be able to say to themselves whether they wanted to do it or whether they didn't. So interesting, when they were young, our youngest, she always liked her fitness and uh, uh, eating organic food and doing the cooking. So she had always cooked from when she was very little. And our um, middle boy, he loves rugby and at the age of five, he had a ball under his arm and he said, I'm only ever here to play rugby. So all of his home education was done through rugby. So we would go to the rugby field and we would do maths from that. I wouldn't take a project, you know, like a a, a, a measuring tape and a projector, a, a, um, a protractor and all that kind of stuff. I would just say, okay, what do you think the, the angle is estimated to get this kick over here? What do you think that would be? Anyway, he's very good at spatial um, spatial awareness as a result of that and then our eldest boy loved building whether it was lego or whether it was these massive catapults that he would build out the back anything he'd find anything and just build you know carts and uh, things so cut to now at 21 19 and 17 our youngest um, has just finished her uh um like I would guess I would say level one in nutrition through an online course that she's doing out of Australia. And she's just finished it, uh, which is actually 16, about to turn 17. She's just finished her fitness leadership and personal training course out of the New Zealand Institute of Health and Fitness. Our second boy is in uh, um, landscaping, uh, uh, not landscaping, um, earth moving. Mm -hmm. um, and he is, uh, well into his rugby, plays rugby at a high high level, um, and our eldest is in building. So it's it's interesting when you when you can look where their interests are at a young age and and uh, nurture and nourish and complement where they're going um, in their life. It's interesting to look now as to. Mm. Um, where they are and the, and proud to say they would be proud to say that they've never had uh takeaway food so no mcdonald's no kfc no right. that, so when you look at uh young people today and you compare them to just 50 years ago or if you look at our young people today and you compare them to the Amish community or to people living in poor traditional countries where they're, you know, something has gone horribly wrong for our kids. They're extremely unhealthy physically. You can see it. Mm -hmm. They have jaw, teeth issues often obese at a young age physically weak and afflicted by supposedly mental issues 
many of them. And always trotting off with something wrong with them. And a victim mentality, oftentimes. Now, of course, that's a gross generalization. But I think if you look at a picture of 1963, school class, 10-year-olds, and looked at a picture, 2023, 10-year-olds, school picture, just physically, it's so different and so wrong. And so we have to be asking some very, very serious questions about we've got more health, more food, more opportunities than ever before, and you can wander down the street and see such a level of unhappiness amongst our young people that it's heartbreaking. Mm. Do you feel that? Yeah, I I agree. And and you know, I think being a, a health professional, it's something that I, you know, I observe just as I move around the community or 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 travel. I I, I notice that. And you know, Rodney, the average person will have fourteen thousand medications in their lifetime oh my goodness Fourteen thousand. now that does not include over-the-counter medications if you add over-the-counter medications and i'm glad you're sitting down it comes to forty thousand. that's one person so the question you have to ask yourself in order to stop that amount of medications, you have to unpack the illusions that you carry for yourself around what health actually is. Mm. But oh, until what? you until you unpack that, you're not going to see it. And 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 if you keep having this interpretation of health with regards to how you feel and you have to avoid something and avoid it and avoid it, then you're just going to create more insults to your body. So it's 40,000 medications, 72 vaccinations now for, for children, and, and they're coming after the adults too. So it's it, you, a, a body. Um, sometimes I get amazed at the innate intelligence of the body that it can still <laughs> move and function, you know, it's because it's crazy the amount that's out there. But in order, oh, and, and education is a part of that too. Since schools started, the literacy rate of children has plummeted. Yes. No one ever looks at those statistics. No. Now, if you go to a guy called John Taylor Gatter, who passed away a number of years ago, I had the absolute pleasure of listening to him speak, an extraordinary human being. He wrote a book called Dumbing Us Down, The Hidden Curriculum of Compulsory Schooling. And he was a teacher out of New York State. And he, you know, he spoke very clearly about this literacy rate that has been on a sharp decline since schools came in. Mm. And and it's no wonder that that kids are, are drugged out, um, parents are stressed out, um, kids are, 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 are they're not getting dumber, they're 
they're dumbed down in terms of the information that they are provided with or the avenues that they're allowed to go to because they're not able to critically think for themselves. Even though schools say we, you know, we develop critically thinking children, it, it's not. No. They're not thinking for themselves. They're not able to question because if they question, then they're questioning authority and authority always rules when you're in that environment. So they're not having the the opportunity to rule. And, and I think what the most important aspect of this going through school is I wrote a a chapter in the health illusion. It's called drug pushes are closer than you think. And it's, it's not for the faint hearted, but it's very confronting. And the confronting part of it is that the drug pusher starts in the home. It Mm. starts when our kids are little, it starts with the language of there you go, darling, this will make you feel better. And so we're taught, we're taught, we're taught, we're taught to whatever is there shouldn't be there and I've got to take it away in order for me to be happy and feel good. And then when the child comes to the age of 12, this is where it gets confusing for children. At, at 12 now in schools, children are pushing drugs, whether it's the, the prescription drug that they have been prescribed from a medical doctor or it's an illegal drug that they have been able to have access to and they now sell in the schoolyard. But if some kid is there at the school and they're vulnerable in some way, shape or form, then some kid is going to say to them, here, mate, take this. This will make it all go away. And that fits, all what, of they've a sudden, heard, and that fits what they've heard their whole life. Exactly. So all of a sudden we go from the drug pusher in the house to the drug pusher in the school. Mm-hmm. This is where the children get confused because the, that school kid is offering that child that's in that vulnerable state something to take something away. Mm. And then the parents are like, what are you doing that for? You shouldn't be doing that. So these kids are getting these confused messages of, hang on, I was raised for all of those years telling me that something was going to take something away and I was going to feel better. And now when I'm searching for someone, something to take something away because I haven't got the skills in conversation to be able to share it with someone or I haven't been exposed to vulnerability enough to share that with my parents, whatever that may be for that child, I'm going to go and take something to take it away. And then we we clamp down on our children for, for for doing that so it's we get these mixed messages with these kids but we get the 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 continuity of taking the drugs to take it away to you know ending up being 40,000 in our lifetime for listeners and me we're living in the system right we are in awe of you and your family because it's like a super family to us. (laughs) Is it possible for us to take some baby steps to make a better life, or is it all all or nothing? No, definitely baby steps, definitely. And we actually have on our website, vital-wellbeing, an online course, Take Charge of Your Health, that parents can go to if they wanted to, to start taking those baby steps. It's teaching a little bit more of what we've what we've spoken about today. And, and it's being, you know, it's like anything when you get that aha moment. You know, I had that when I went to chiropractic college for the first time and I heard that definition of health being optimal physical, mental and social well-being and not necessarily the absence of disease or infirmity. I was like, what? You mean health isn't about how you feel? 
you know, because mm. that's what I was taught, right, going through school, going through physical education, no one could define what health was. Going through psychology, no one could define what health was. It was all about how you how you feel and having to take something away. So for me, my I had this big epiphany moment, you know, that health isn't about, you know, feeling taut, tight and terrific. It's it's more than that. And so for for parents to um uh have take those small steps to do those epiphany moments because it can be it, it can be confronting but it it is something that you can learn and take mm. the steps towards um you know a so more tell me system tell me i gosh i've been so interested that i forgot to tell everyone that they're listening to rally check radio and real talk with rodney hyde <laughs> and i've got on board with me dr sarah farrant who's this living living the life of what she preaches and teaches and um has explained to us and you have to say we have to look at what we're doing and think it's not working when you see children so miserable physically and mentally um oh my goodness it's heartbreaking to me i think it's heartbreaking to listeners and um where did listeners go dr sarah to find out more of what they can do where can they go uh, and find out about you what you're promoting what you're talking about so uh, the website would be the best place to go to so mm -hmm. that is vital-wellbeing.com so when you say dash it's like a hyphen like a yes small, yeah. yeah not an underscore the hyphen yeah, yeah. Vi vital vital hyphen wellbeing one yeah. word dot com com vital-wellbeing.com and, and on, on there we have all the uh the um, blogs that i write the recipes like what are we eating in our house um the articles the books the vital truth and the health illusion we also have our minerals on there we obviously didn't get to talk about that and the importance of that but that's that's okay people can go and find more have you gone back to your remedial reading teacher i've forgotten her name dr Ms. Claire. Dr. No, Miss Miss Claire. Miss Claire. Have you kept in touch with Miss Claire? You know what? I haven't, but I always think about her. I dedicated my se second book to um Miss Claire. And uh um she's probably passed away now. I'm 56, so mm. she would have been at least in her 40s when she was teaching me. So I would say she more more than likely passed away. Isn't I don't it know. Funny, but... Isn't it funny how great these teachers can be? Uh, Tom Sowell, who's a great economist who happens to be black, and he grew up in the Bronx, and he had this very tough school teacher who would smack them, <laughs> and they had to get their spelling right and their arithmetic right. Yeah, and he decided with his classmates that she was picking on them because you know they were little black kids and he said he attributes his success in life he would have written 40 50 books and is a very famous scholar to her mm. and he said such was her love for us that she knew we had to be not just good but better mm. than average better 
And his classmates went on to become great CEOs and all the rest of it, all attributed to this teacher Mm. who wouldn't accept excuses from these little black children in the Bronx Mm. and set a standard for them. Nice. So it's funny how I think there's I, I think there is I think everybody in their lifetime can attribute something to a teacher that they yeah that they that they had. Okay, Sarah. Now there was something you were going to remind me of that's coming up. Yes. So we are or I, I'm doing a tour uh raising healthy kids outside the system. And uh we're setting off on the tour next month in November. And VFF asked if they could uh, promote me and the and the tour, which is fantastic. So uh, it, for those that are listening that would like to attend, they can go to their local coordinator in their area to find out more information, or they can email hello at voicesforfreedom.co.nz if they want to know more and the inbox will disseminate Wonderful. that too the right place yeah i'm looking forward to it I think we've, and will it be up on your web page where you're going uh i think it i i, I think it will i'll need to speak with um bff uh, uh no your web page i'm sorry if i went to your web page could i find out where you're going and talking uh yes i believe okay. so yeah right. i believe you're well dr dr sarah ferrant what a wonderful insightful woman what an amazing story about dyslexic being the dunce, not just for one or two years, but for 12 years, which is a pretty um, horrendous repetition of telling you what you are, but walking across that school ground with that affirmation. Mm. Every time that Sarah did it, this little girl, and then making it to be not just a doctor, but a best selling author it's an extraordinary story <laughs> and then having the strength to step outside the system because that requires extraordinary strength but that strength given to her when she was seven from her dad to do what's right and to run the other way when the crowd are going in one direction <laughs> and to raise three healthy children who know themselves and that little 17-year-old man, not little, I bet, but going off to the GP to be stitched for the first time to see a doctor and telling him, no, he doesn't need any shots, thank you very much, and no, he won't need pain relief. Oh, my goodness, what a story. And not being rushed to the doctor straight away. Very impressive. How wonderful are we at Rally Check Radio? Real Talk with Rodney Hyde to be blessed with such wonderful guests to inspire us, to educate us, to lift our sights and to improve our knowledge and to improve our understanding of one another. Remember, you can text me at 2057. You can email me, inbox at radio. We are truly blessed. Thank you for listening. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m.